Well, good morning, everyone. Nice to see everyone here this morning. Um, just one little uh, correction, the Colorado luncheon, that's going to be upstairs in the 70 times 7 area, not at the park. You know, it's too nice of a day to be outside, I guess. Why don't we stay inside? No, it's a little less distraction so we can talk uh, upstairs. So if you prayed for, gave financially uh, towards the Colorado trip, love to have you uh, stick around for lunch and uh, hear testimonies of what God did and his faithfulness uh, over that trip. So that is immediately following the service upstairs. Well, for the last couple of weeks, we have been uh, talking about prayer. Five weeks, uh, in fact, we've been talking about the fact that the, the early church was devoted to prayer. And really, over the last couple of months, we've been going through Acts chapter 2, the 2 verse 42, and looking at all of the things that the early church, early followers of Jesus were devoted to. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. And so we've really camped in this uh, topic of prayer for the last couple of weeks, and it's been a, a great couple of weeks. And, and the highlight for me has been really when we have asked all of you to pray for one another, to see you turn towards one another and actually really go for it in prayer. And I just want you to know that at any time, you know, except when we're talking up here, but at any time during a service, during worship time, you don't have to wait for us to say that. If you feel led to pray for somebody, hop over a pew and go pray for somebody if the Lord uh, is telling you to do that. Uh, but we're going to continue to talk about being devoted to uh, prayer. And I want to start off uh, this way this morning with a picture that I saw online uh, this week, uh, up on the screen. And I want you to actually answer this question with your neighbor. So turn to your neighbor, turn to kids like next to you, turn to your neighbor, and if you can't see it, hopefully you can see it, which one of those was your first cell phone? Your first cell phone. All right, all right. It's like, it's like revival broke out. My goodness, roar. All right. You keep that up there. Ben, keep that up there. Anybody have the first one? Did anybody? Yeah. Charlie, yes, and others. All right, raise your hand if you had one in the first row. Okay, nice. Welcome, old people. <laughs> no, the... The funny thing is, I think one of those phones in the top, um, my father-in-law, he's not here, so I can, and he usually comes, but I can say this. My father-in-law had one of those phones in the, in the top row, and just within the last couple years got rid of it, so <laughs> it was pretty funny. All right, anybody in the second row? Second row. That's where I'm at, second row. Third row, youngsters. Nice, nice. Well, I, my first phone was number nine, number nine. That was my first phone. And uh, I remember getting the phone, and uh, I remember, you know, previously, you know, there was the bag phone even before this, and then the, the big phone, and I really, I got number nine, but really what I wanted was actually, like, number four or five. I wanted to be cool and have, like, a flip phone, but I got, I got number nine, and actually, over number nine is how my wife and I met. Um, I wasn't planning on even sharing this, like, she got number nine as well, and she brought it to me, and she goes, I don't know how to put any numbers in this phone. Can you put your number in this phone? I'm like, that is slick. That is slick. 
So I'm like, yes, I will. <laughs> but it was weird because you had to push like 15 buttons to get like a D. Like D. A. Anyway. Um, but I remember, I remember when I upgraded from 9 to 13. And that was like, in all honesty, it was like a Palm Pilot. It was like, uh, that was like a, a big old phone. It's like you had a computer in your, your pocket. Like the thing was so huge. But, you know, I went from just uh, a phone to all of a sudden it had uh, my calendar in there. And I don't think it had email. I don't know. But you could get a couple things. You could maybe even access the internet. But it would take a long, long time. Um, but really, again, I thought 14 was cool. Anybody have 14? I think like that was the most popular phone for a while. Anyway, I remember going back to actually my wife. I remember when I got rid of number 13 and got a BlackBerry. And I thought, wow, my life has changed. But then because it changed so much and I'm like, man, this thing is so slick and I can, I can do a bunch of stuff on this phone. I, I threw it to my wife and I said, you know, you need one of these. And she looked at it and tried to work it and then she threw it back to me and she goes, I can't have one of these. This thing is so stinking complicated. She went back to a regular phone with like the big slide out keyboard so she can text. I mean, she was, she was moving up. But I remember, I was thinking of actually this picture today that I saw somebody post on, online. I, actually, this week I was look, thinking of that. And I thought like how complicated that BlackBerry phone was. And how many buttons you had to push. And I remember when she upgraded to number 18, an iPhone. And she's like, ah, oh, freedom. I can just push one button and it does something. And it does what I want it to do. I was thinking of a, a friend of mine who heard about how they tested the iPads and even iPhones. And they sent them to uh, other countries where, where kids had not heard of iPhones or iPads. And they just gave it to them without any instruction on how to use it. And if they could use it, then they knew they had designed it correctly. If they could just push the button and it just would simply work. If they could just push something and it would work and they're like, they could navigate. It just was so simple. Now, this is not an iPhone commercial or an iPad commercial. You're like, where are you going with this? I was convicted by that picture this week when in thinking about the church. And I just was thinking about, have we complicated the church? Have we made it a, a complication of, I got to know this, I got to do this, I got to attend this gathering, I got to go here, I got to be involved in this thing. Have we complicated church? Have we complicated, in all honesty, have we complicated Christianity? Because we think about things and we think about our lives and we're like, I'm going to plan, I'm going to do this, I'm going to have this in my life. And yeah, I'm going to have, you know, my relationship with Jesus, but I am in control and I'm going to have this plan and that plan in my life. And I was thinking of my own life and the plans that I had made and the five-year plans that I had made and how often I don't get to five years and they're the plan that I wanted because God had changed things up in my life. And as I was thinking of this, Thinking of that picture, I just want us to get back to the heart of Christianity. And really, is a simplic simplicity of Christianity, and it's all about a relationship with God that has been purchased for us through the blood of Jesus. That through the blood of Jesus, we are reconciled to our Father, that we can walk in relationship with God our Father. And I look at Acts, and I, when I read Acts, I, I just see that they were really simple. That they, when they, they were given this huge task, this huge mission to go out into the, the ends of the earth and to share the gospel, to, to have people's hearts and their minds transformed. I mean, that's a huge task to take the words of Jesus and to teach them to people. 
And what did they do? How did they start? Acts 1, we see that they prayed. They simply went to the Lord and prayed. And like, Lord, we don't know how to do this. You're going to have to lead us. Acts 2, it says that they were devoted to prayer. Acts 4, in the midst of persecution, they stopped and they prayed. Acts 12, what we heard last week, in the midst of, of their people being thrown into prison and one person being uh, killed for their faith, they prayed. All the way through the book of Acts, they prayed. They were devoted to prayer. And I wonder, does that mark us? Is that characteristic of our lives? Are we truly devoted to prayer? Truly devoted to, to having this relationship, this ongoing conversation with the God of the universe that was purchased for us through the blood of his son, Jesus. It really is that simple that I get to walk in step with the Lord. The past couple weeks, I've been in a passage that I just can't get out of. And we're going to look at that this morning. In the last couple, last month, last couple weeks, I found myself... Um, just kind of tired and weary and overwhelmed, even some feelings that, that I shouldn't have had, feelings of some, some worthlessness, and I found the Lord encountering me powerfully in John 15. So I want to flip there this morning and highlight a couple things that the Lord highlighted to me, share them with you, but in, re- in regards specifically to being devoted to prayer. So John 15. These are the words of Jesus, and if you hear anything this morning, and remember anything this morning, I encourage you to remember these words. This is as, as if Jesus is just in this room and sharing this with us this morning. These are the words uh, of Jesus, what he shared uh, with his disciples during the Last Supper, when they were up in that upper room. He's talking to, to people had, who had devoted their life to following him, and this is what he said shortly before he went to the cross. He said this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So here Jesus shares words with his disciples. And Jesus, the master illustrator, uses a picture that was very common. And it's one of a vine and the branches. But then he starts off by saying, who is his father? His father is the vine dresser or the gardener. And I think as we read this, it's helpful for us to understand who we are, who Jesus is, and who God is. 
And so let's start with God. God is the gardener. And I love that picture that Jesus could have used any picture that he wanted to to share with his disciples of God. But he used this picture of, of God being a gardener. Now, I don't garden. I don't farm. I know some people that do. But one of the things that I think of when I think of a gardener, I think of someone who is very present in the midst of his garden. You can't garden from afar. You have to garden by being in the garden. And a gardener tends to his crop, tends to the seeds as they're being planted, the, the little um, things as they're coming out of the ground, um, the sprouts, thank you, over here. As these things are sprouting, they're tending to their garden, picking weeds that are trying to, to take nutrients from their crops that are growing. But the other thing that I think about when I think about gardening is how much of a process it is. You start in the spring, maybe even you start at the end of the, the previous year taking care of the ground. But you start in the spring by, by you know, tilling the soil and, and getting it ready and putting fertilizer and, you know, putting like seeds all in there. It starts in the spring and then harvest comes later. It's a process. What does this tell us about God? I mean, if, I, if you think about like Jesus said, my father is the vine dresser, my father is the gardener think about like what does this tell us about God is that he is very active and present in our lives he is not distant he is not far away but we as his branches we are in the he's in the midst of our lives and there's one little confusing uh, verse in here at least it was confusing for me in verse two because it says this every branch in me that does not bear fruit he the gardener takes away and I'm like he takes away it's not bearing fruit, he like gets rid of it. But really what the word, word means here is that it doesn't mean that he takes away. It actually means that he lifts up. He lifts up. I have a little bush here, a little rose bush. It came from Family Fair, from their gardener. If you think about it, if you think about the fact that he takes away or he lifts up. If this was planted in a garden... And if there was, you know, a lot of other bushes around, one of the things that can happen in a garden with anything that pops up out of the ground is dirt can get on it. Uh, it can get trampled on. It can get pushed into the ground. It can start to, like, bend over. Think about it. God, the gardener, comes into the garden as the, as the gardener and lifts up the plant, the, the thing that had fallen on the ground. That, that communicates so much about the goodness of God. It's what Daniel read in Psalm 107. As we destroy our lives, as our lives get beaten down by life, the gardener comes into our life and doesn't just like get rid of it. No, he lifts up those who have been beaten low, those who have had the weight of the world on them. He lifts them up. It's an amazing picture of the gardener. But it also says that he prunes us. Now, I learned this this morning from Marshall in the back. Pruning is different than deadheading. Deadheading is when you like take a, a dead plant and just kind of like click off the top. Okay, that's deadheading. But what happens is that something else will just grow in its place and it really won't promote growth. But if you prune, you actually have to go lower and cut really low so that when it grows back, it grows back a lot stronger. So the father comes and he prunes. And so often in our life we're like, no, there's, there's fruit up here. But then you go through a season of pruning and you're like, God, what are you doing? There's a little fruit. But here's the goal of God. He wants you to be fruitful. And so he cuts us back. Doesn't cut us off. He cuts us back. Gets rid of things in our lives. 
so that we can bear more fruit. I think of the picture that Jesus shares here about God, our Father, being a gardener. And I love it because he is so hands-on through the process of our lives. And that's the other thing. Gardening is a process. God's work at our life, in our life is a process. And so often we can look at the plant, we can look at our lives and we can say, I'm not seeing this fruit or that fruit. And we can get really frustrated and say, God, what are you doing in my life? But before a plant, rosebush becomes that, seeds have to be planted. Roots have to grow. He is at work in our lives, working things in our lives long before we see it. I love the verse Philippians 1 says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Our life is a process and God is at work in our lives and he is going to be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. So Jesus says, God is the gardener. And then he says, I am the vine. Jesus is the vine. Now in the Old Testament, when it was referred to as a vine, and they were referring to Israel, and most often when they referred to Israel as a vine in the Old Testament, it was a, a, a corrupt vine, a vine that did not bear fruit. And so Jesus even saying that I am the vine is saying something pretty amazing. He's saying, I am the true vine. He's sharing the gospel right there. I am the true vine. I am the one who brings life. I am the one who nourishes. I am the one that, 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 that you need in your life. And then he says, you are the branches. You are the branches. You have been grafted in through the blood of his, through his blood. But one of the things that is amazing about a branch is that without a branch, you can't have fruit. The fruit comes off of the branch. And so I think about that, like, yes, we are just a branch, but a branch is significant because a branch is where fruit is developed. And so God uses the branches to bear fruit. As you think about this whole picture, it's so vital for us to know who God is, who Jesus is, and who we are. Because so often, if I'm just confessing, so often I want to be the gardener. I want to be the one in control, and I'm reminded from this picture that I am just a little branch. Significant, yes, but I am just a branch in the hands of Almighty God. But the purpose of this is that if you look at a field of flowers or a field of, of grapes, the attention isn't just on a grape. If you have a field of amazing fruit and amazing grapes, who gets the attention? The one who's the gardener. He gets the glory. She gets the glory. The same is true with God in our lives. The purpose of our lives is to bear fruit, to bear a lot of fruit, all for the glory of God. So we take that picture, and you just got to wonder, what does this have to do with prayer? What does this have to do with prayer? There is one word over and over and over again in, in this passage that I read, and you can't get away from it. In fact, even as I was reading it this morning, I'm like, there's that word again. There's that word again. And it's the a word that focuses on what we are supposed to do as followers of Jesus. And what is that word? Abide. Now, I don't know about you, but myself, I don't like that word. Because if I'm honest, abide, I just need to sit and abide. For me, abiding like means laziness. Like nothing happens as you just sit and abide. And I often thought about that. Like no, nothing happens when you sit and abide. Nothing goes on. But I have been convicted lady, lately that not, <laughs> stop lady. <laughs> I have been convicted lately that it's not that nothing happens when you abide, but actually that everything happens when you abide. Everything happens when you abide. Because when I abide, 
When I abide, when I just sit and abide, I am reminded of the fact that I have been connected to the vine through the blood of Jesus. That I am, I belong to someone. That I have this relationship with Jesus. That I have a purpose in my life to bear fruit, but it's not on me to do. All I have to do is remain connected to the vine. And also as I'm remaining connected to the vine, I'm being corrected in my life. Things are getting pruned so that I can bear more fruit. I'm being given direction in my life. A lot happens as we sit and abide, but I wonder, do we truly believe that? I heard recently of the organization International Justice Mission. And they are at work in the world trying to end slavery that exists in our world today. They have freed over 48,000 people from slavery. They have rescued, or not rescued, they have imprisoned 3,800 slave traders. They've protected over 150 million people who are susceptible to slavery. I was, listening, I was reading about this organization and, and their founder and their president. And every day he, was told, he told a group, he said, every day I have all of the people that work at International Justice Mission, every day they have to start their day in 30 minutes of silence. They go to work, they sit at their desk, and they start in silence for 30 minutes praying. And you would think, like, there's so much work that has to get done in freeing people up from slavery. There's political side, there's a, a legal side, there's so much that has to happen. You're giving people 30 minutes to sit at their desk every morning and pray. And he said, that's not all. At 11 o'clock in the morning, we come together for an hour, and we pray over situations in the world. And someone asked him, ah, doesn't seem like anything's going on when that's happening. He says, oh, that's our most productive time of the day. Because everything is happening. They would not have the results that they have if they don't stop every day and pray. Like, do we believe that? Like, that's our job as, as followers of Jesus is simply to abide. But we as Americans, we want to strive and do all of this stuff so that people can say, wow, look at that fruit that you're producing. No, our job as followers of Jesus is to sit and abide. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 33, he says, don't be anxious about your life. Don't worry about your life. You're like, eh, Jesus, don't you know my life? He says, don't worry about what you wear. He says this, seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, and everything else will be taken care of, will be added to you. Seek first. What he says is, is gaze at the kingdom of God. Fix your glimpse on the kingdom of God, your gaze on the kingdom of God. Just stay so focused there. But as we think about that, how often do we do the opposite? How often do we gaze at life and focus on our problems and glimpse at God? And Jesus is telling us this morning, abide in me. Fix your eyes on me. Gaze at me and glimpse at life. Because when we do, our problems and the concerns and the cares of this world take proper perspective in the light of the greatness and the glory of Jesus. Is abiding your number one thing? Is that the greatest desire of your life? Just to abide, just to stay connected to the vine. See, the Bible is filled with people who just have this one desire to know the Lord. So often I think we want to, to serve, we want to share the gospel, we want to make a difference in this world, and so we run hard after that. But Jesus is calling us back this morning and saying, just simply abide, stay connected to me. Focus there and everything else 
will take care of itself. Are you connected to the vine? Or better yet, what are you connected to or who are you connected to? There are so many things that we can stay connected to. So many of us can stay connected to our past. And it can prevent us from accepting who God is and what he has done for our lives and who we are in Christ. We stay connected to our past and our brain goes back to things that we have done this week, last month, last year. And this prevents us from staying connected to the vine and remembering who we are in Christ. A lot of us get, get connected to our future. We're focused on our future saying, oh, one day I'm going to do this. One day I'm going to marry this person. One day this is going to happen in my life. And we're so focused on the future that we forget just to remain in the vine. To stay connected, to abide in Jesus. Who are you connected to? On a regular basis, this is not some mystical thing. Who are you connected to? Are you staying close with Jesus? But why do we do this? Why do we abide? Look at verse 5. Verse 5, Jesus says this, Abide in me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do we believe that? Do we believe that apart from God, we can do absolutely nothing? I mean, that's why it's so important that apart, like if this branch were just to be on the ground, we would look at that and, and there's nothing that we can do. Nothing that we can do to have this branch bear any fruit. But you know what so happens so often? Is we try. We try to like make these branches that aren't connected to the vine bear fruit. We strive, we labor, we do a bunch of things just trying to, to get some fruit to appear on a vine or on a branch. And there might be some things that we can do to give appearance of fruit. We can maybe tape a rose on here. We can, you know... Get some wire in and attach it somehow. But that fruit won't last. Jesus is clear. Unless you abide in me, you will do nothing. Apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. But I wonder how often do we truly believe this? In situations in our life that we try to control, that we try to impact, that we try to, to change, we are trying to do that on our own strength instead of just simply abiding and saying, God, the only way that the situation in my life, the only way that this problem in my life is going to be transformed is through your power. Do we believe that apart from Jesus, apart from staying connected to the vine, that we can do nothing? So I think of my life. I just I get saddened at times of all the times that I have tried to produce fruit without just walking closely with Jesus, abiding in the vine. I mean, it's crazy that we do this. Because as we come to Jesus, we know that we come to Jesus and all of a sudden, when our eyes were opened and we saw the greatness and the glory of Jesus, we know that it was nothing that we did on our own. That he was at work in our lives, he was transforming us, he was opening up our eyes. But then as soon as we put our faith in Jesus, and it was all his work, and yeah, we, we decided to trust him, but it was all his pursuing, it was all him in 100, Psalm 107, chasing, rescuing, but then all of a sudden we decide to follow Jesus, and we're like, you know what, now I got to do this all in my own strength, and we quickly forget that the number one thing that we have to do is just simply abide in the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This week, I was at a meeting with a group of youth pastors in this area. And we were planning retreats and different things for this upcoming year. 
And I was thinking about this passage in John 15, and I'm like, okay, is it truly that, is it true that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing? All right, God, the only thing that you want me to do is, is to stay close with you, to walk step by step with you, to remain in the vine, to abide in the vine. Is it true that as I do that, you will produce fruit? And so I was in this group of people, and our natural tendency is to say, okay, we got a couple retreats, we got a couple things, we better put our brains together and start planning. And I was like, all right, I'm going to try something. Guys, we're going to stay quiet. We're going to ask the Lord. We're going to pray and say, what do you want to have happen? And I honestly, as I did that, I was nervous. I was freaking out. I'm like, God, this is going to be a train wreck. This is going to be a mess. They're going to have all these different ideas. They're not going to want to do it. This is going to be horrible. But we did it. And for five minutes, we just sat in silence and write, all right, Lord, what do you want to, for us to do this year? And out of that time of silence, we started to share. And I was writing on the board different responses. And as I was writing on the board, I was absolutely amazed. Because I was writing things, and I'm like, that's what I heard. That's, that's what I said. And within the course of a half hour, we had planned all of these things. Not because we did it in our own strength, but because we just sat and simply abided in the Lord and said, all right, God, what do you want us to do? And I wonder what would happen if that was how we normally responded in our lives. Instead of quickly going into this mode of, I got to do this and this and this, we start by saying, all right, God, I'm just going to you with this. And there's no magical words that we share or, or say. We're just going to our Father through the blood of Jesus and saying, God, this is, I need your help. I need your guidance. What if we were to not just practice this in our lives, but really live this out? You know, this time of year is an interesting time in Michigan because you get to June and people are so tired of the busyness of the year that we get to June and we're like, oh, I'm going to relax. And it gets warm outside. And we're like, I'm going to go outside and nobody tell me what to do. I'm just going to relax for June and July. I'm going to go to the cabin. I'm going to go do, go to the beach. I'm just going to do it, which is great. I love the seasons in Michigan, except for winter. I love the, the rhythms in Michigan. But then all of a sudden, August hits. And it happened this week as August 1 hit. It was like just clockwork. All of a sudden, the emails from the school are coming in. And the emails from organizations are coming in like, fall is coming. This is happening. Get ready. And then you start to see school supplies in the stores. And you're like, kids are like, ah, school's almost here. And parents are like, yes. <laughs> Can they start this week? But I think our natural tendency when that happens is for us to go to our calendars, for us to go to our lives and say, okay, I got to start planning this and this and this and this and try to fit it all together. But I just wonder what would happen in our lives if we took this picture and said, God, I'm coming to the vine. As a branch, I am connected to the vine. I'm connected to Jesus. And I get the privilege of this huge invitation of not having to pray, but getting to pray, to being led and directed by my Savior, Jesus. What would happen if we did that? And yes, that illustration was about school, that story was about school. But what happened if you did that in your life? Because I know many of you are facing decisions in life, problems in life, situations in your life. What would happen if we took the words of John 15 seriously? That we just have to abide in the vine. That's all we simply have to do. 
after I look at the early church, I truly believe, and we can have a conversation, you can convince me otherwise, but I truly believe that they just walked step by step with the Lord. They came across a problem, and they prayed, all right, God, what are we supposed to do? You've given us the Holy Spirit. We're going to be led by you. We're going to be directed by you. I truly believe it was that simple. So church, let us not complicate it, thinking that we have to do all of this stuff that pulls us away from simply walking in step with our Savior Jesus. Well, what I want us to do now, Daniel and the worship team will come up in a bit. What I want is just to take some time, and I know there's kids around, and there might be some other noises that happen, and that's fine. But I want to take the opportunity right now, because the goal of this whole conversation isn't for us just to talk about prayer, but actually pray more. What, what I want to do right now is for you just to take this opportunity, and there are situations in your life And I want you to simply go to your father through the blood of his son Jesus and say, all right, I have this going on. I need your help. However you want to communicate that with your father. I want you to do that right now. Close your eyes. Maybe pray with somebody else next to you. That's totally fine. But the worship team will start coming up and will lead us in worship. But I want us to take this opportunity and just simply abide because that's our most important work, is just to simply abide with whatever you have going on in your life, just to simply abide in Jesus. to ask that you would teach us to pray. That through the power of the Spirit, you would teach us what prayer is. That that truly as you taught us to pray, Jesus, that we would come to you with a desire to live our lives fully for you bringing you glory and honor, but that we would walk every day step by step with you. Because after all, you taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. That's it. Not looking to the past, not looking to the future, but just being present in today. Staying connected with you, abiding in you. 
So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us how to do that. And that you would increase faith in our lives. That something truly happens as we do that. And not just something, but everything happens. We are reminded of who we are. And we are given direction and purpose. Father, I pray that we would live our lives completely for you. That the sole desire of our life would bring would to be that would to bring glory and honor to your great name. So that begins with simply abiding. So we just ask that you would teach us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.